think for a minute about the direction of your life with Pastor Ed Ray. We're here once, this is it. One time, you go around once in life. How will you live your life? What are you living it for? Spend it serving him. Give yourself to what he wants you to do and you'll find astounding significance you would never find in just living your life day to day like Eeyore. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your Take a walk with Jesus on the road to Emmaus today on Grow in Grace. And as you do, I think you'll receive a faith boost. Pastor Ed Ray is on the home stretch of his study of Luke. We approach chapter 24 and verses 13 through 35 today. Remember, Jesus has just been crucified. A lot has transpired in just a few days. The disciples are confused. They're sad and have lost hope. Two of the disciples are taking a long walk home talking about what's happened when Jesus joins the conversation and gives them a Bible study they'd never forget. Their faith and hope was restored as a result. Let's see what we can take away from all of this. He sees their attitude. They're depressed. There's no hope. They don't have any hope left. They're discouraged. These two are sad about Jesus being dead. And that's really the whole thing he's going to draw them into. They don't understand. It's really ironic. It's hilarious. He's standing right in front of them, but they don't get it. Then the one whose name was Cleopas, and he's probably really sorry that his name is actually here in the scripture. Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening? Where have you been? This is pretty sarcastic response to the Son of God, <laughs> where have you been lately? In a hole someplace? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Under a rock? Well, yeah, <laughs> I have been. And Jesus said to them, this is great. This is divine humor. What things? <laughs> like he doesn't know. <laughs> and they're going to spill out everything that they've been talking about. Of course, he says that to draw them out because he wants to hear how they see things. That's important. But he's really drawing them into this conversation. Well, tell me about it. What things have been happening? They said, well, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people. Now, here's a problem. They do what so many people do today. Well, he was a great prophet. No, <laughs> he was not a great prophet. He was the prophet. He's the source of prophecy. He is the Messiah. This is God the Son. So many people say, well, he was a great teacher. No, 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 no. He was the teacher. He's God the teacher who gave us the word of God. He is much more than what they're thinking, and that's the point. They can't see him. He is not just a prophet. Secondly, verse 20, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. They're depressed because Jesus was dead because the religious rulers had killed yet another prophet. That's what they're saying. You know, like Jeremiah and Isaiah, Ezekiel, all the rest of them, the Jewish leaders killed him. 
No, 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 no. He gave himself to die. They don't understand. They're blind. But we had hoped, verse 21, thirdly, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping he was the redeemer. We thought he was the Messiah. We used to hope. We don't hope anymore. You see, we've lost hope. We would like to hope. We'd like to expect something good from him. We were expecting it on Palm Sunday morning when we were all waving our palm fronds and shouting Hosanna. But then he didn't do what the Messiah was supposed to do. He was supposed to be the military ruler, right, of Israel. That's what it said. He's supposed to throw these Romans out. But he didn't. We used to believe. We used to hope. There's a movie uh, a while back, some of you remember, Hope Floats. I think there's a little hope floating in here. Notice the end of it. Today is the third day. Something in the back of Cleopas' mind was saying, he said something about the third day, but it's over. Look, the sun's going down. It hasn't happened yet. It's over in Luke 9.22. The Son of Man, Jesus speaking, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. They heard that. They spent three and a half years with Jesus. Luke 18.31. Behold, Jesus is speaking, and we're going to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked, insulted, spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. So there's a little tinge left of hope. Sun's not down yet. It's not the fourth day. That's what Cleopas is thinking. But they were relying on their eyesight. These are very practical disciples. They were relying upon what they could see. But that's where hope collides. That's where faith contradicts vision. You see... The problem with relying on sight instead of faith is you can't see with your visual eyes, with your physical material eyes, things that are spiritual. The writer of Hebrews 11.1 said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, expected. The evidence of things not seen. What, Pastor? That's confusing. Faith is being able to see the invisible. Faith is being able to grasp the unseen, the spiritual part of life. You are a triune being when you've given your life to the Lord. Before you give your life to the Lord, you're just a dual. You're just soul and physical body. But when you give your life to the Lord, then the third takes place, the interface between God and man. Spirit comes alive and you begin to grasp things that you could not ever see with your eyes. Now you can see it in other people. Look in the eyes of other people that are believers. You see it. Biblical faith is the substance, this says. The underlying reality. Oh, this world looks real. It's got these five senses that we're so used to. Sight. We're so used to sight that we rely on it more than the other four senses. We were talking in a men's study the other night. One of the guys knew something about JFK Jr.'s death in 1999. JFK took a Piper Saratoga into the Martha's Vineyard, into the ocean. It's a tragedy. So much, such a gifted man that everyone hoped would be more than what he was able to attain. But he's in this airplane and it fogs in and he starts depending on his sight. 
And the FAA that later did the discovery of all the evidence said that the plane went in almost vertical at full power, right into the water. He killed himself and his wife and his sister-in-law because he was relying on his sight instead of the instruments. Sight is such a powerful sense that it will throw off the other ones. Doubt that, go get on a merry-go-round with your kids down at the park and spend too fast and then get off. Your inner ear will confuse your vision because you're trying to trust your eyes and they're not working right. If you doubt that, get a plate of spaghetti and put green dye all over it and hand it to somebody. It'll taste the same, but they won't think so. <laughs> you see, we rely on sight for all the other senses. They modify the other four senses, particularly the one in our heart. We can't see with physical eyes, the things of God. Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early astonished. I can't believe what these girls said. They went to the tomb, and when they did not find his body, his body was missing. In fact, we still can't find it. That's the big problem. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Well, you know, they're nice enough gals, but they're a little hysterical, you know. Ladies, <laughs> verse 24, a little girl stopped me after the last service. She said, why do you have guys only come up and pray? Why don't girls pray? Can they pray okay? I said, oh, yeah, they pray great. The problem is almost 70% of the churches in America are filled with females. 70% of the people in the pews are females. We're trying to show that real men love Jesus. She said, oh, you mean they're dense. I said, yeah, now you got it. <laughs> You can hang with that girl. You've got it. She's about 14. She's already figured it out. Verse 24. Sorry, guys, under the bus again. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. Peter and John, they went. They saw the clothes, the cloth that had been around him. But again, you can't see him, so he can't be there, right? And then he said to them, oh, foolish ones. King James says it literally. You fools. <laughs> Thick, that's what it means. Thick-headed. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. They were reluctant to believe spiritual truths, biblical truths. The word all is important here. All of it. They believe some of it, but they didn't believe all of it. Where are you with that issue in the Bible? Do you believe all of it? Or parts of it. You know, there's parts of it, Pastor, they're really hard to understand and grasp. I'm not sure I believe all of it. I understand, but you need to just embrace it. When I became a Christian years and years ago, I was already a working scientist, and I was struggling after I became a Christian because I read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and I'd been taught evolution and actually had taught it a little bit. And, and now, what do I do with, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth? Accept it. If you'll accept what God says is true, then suddenly your eyes open like these disciples are about to experience, and you'll see things you never saw before. Now I look at the creation, and I go, Phew, his fingerprints are everywhere. They're amazing, the things that he has done that he had. Such coincidences, right? <laughs> That's what I used to think. Well, aren't we lucky that lightning just happened to zap that pre-mortal soup at just the right time? No, 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 this is God. The statistical probabilities rule out, absolutely. 
One times 10 to the 23rd power. Unbelievably impossible that it would happen. Often, seeing follows faith and belief, just as it did for Pastor Ed Ray many years ago. You're listening to a study in Luke 24 on growing grace, and let's get back to it. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into glory? Literally, was it not necessary for the Messiah to die? Yes, it was necessary. Absolutely necessary. They didn't understand because they lacked faith. They didn't have a heart to believe him. They were slow. They lacked sight of their heart. They were only looking with their eyes, and they lacked understanding. They thought he was just a good prophet, a great prophet, but he was God, the son, and they didn't get that. These two disciples misunderstood his death. He had to die. He had to die for me and for you. Why? Because our sins have separated us from God. That's just the reality. It's true about you. It's true about me. And secondly, somebody has to pay for those sins, the result of it. For my sin, I would have to die. Unless somebody capable of standing in my place could do it. Why? So that public justice could be upheld. You see, laws without any consequences are useless. They're like stop signs in your kaipa. I was up there Friday night, and blue hair went right by me, and I was going slow, so, yeah. You know, it's just casual advice. Uh, lady last night, she was part of that crowd. She came up to me, she said, well, it's just because they put too many stop signs in you, Kaipa. You can't stop at all of them. I said, oh, gosh, I understand them. <laughs> so you're all informed now. Know that that's what they're thinking. <laughs> I've already stopped at three today. That's enough for today. I'm going on. <laughs> Who pays for the consequences of the law? Jesus did. That's why he had to die. That's why he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Because I'm the only one that paid the price. I'm the only one who put the redemption price up for those who were sinners, who were slaves to sin. The price has been paid. Verse 27, here's a Bible study you want to check out when you get to heaven. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. Now, I'm thinking these guys are walking slower and slower listening to Jesus. He starts at the beginning. Moses. Some people struggle with that. Some so-called scholars say, well, Moses didn't really write it. Listen, Jesus said it. I believe it, that settles it. Jesus says it was Moses that wrote Genesis. And he begins to expose them to all the scriptures. They go back to the word. He starts in Genesis 3, no doubt. He says, well, the, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. There's the description of the Messiah. Genesis 22, Abraham prophesies that God would provide himself a lamb for the sins of the world on the very self-same mountain that Jesus had just died on, Mount Moriah. Probably went over to Exodus chapter 12 to the original Passover and he described the lamb that had to be slain and then the blood put on the doorpost and the sign of a cross. And so the death angel would pass over any home in which the blood was covering that family. And then he probably went to Leviticus and there he describes all the sacrifices that all lead to Jesus. And then he looks at Psalm 22 where David describes crucifixion, hands pierced and feet pierced. Hundreds of years before anyone in history had been crucified. 
And then Psalm 118, where he describes the cornerstone that was going to be rejected, Jesus himself. And then he probably went to Isaiah chapter 30, where it says he gave his back to the smiters and his cheek to those who pulled out his beard. Isaiah 52, that his face would be so marred that you couldn't even tell he was a man. Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions by his stripes, we are healed. And that he would die amongst thieves, but he would be buried with a rich man. And then he, no doubt, to Daniel chapter 9, where he explained to them that 483 years after the proclamation went out to rebuild Jerusalem, the Messiah would come and how Jesus had come in on that very day. All these scriptures, and he went on and on. God said it, and it happened just as he predicted. In a little village called Bethlehem, only God predicts the future with 100% accuracy. Verse 28, and they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he'd go on. Literally, he turns to walk away. He's a gentleman. He's not going to invite himself in. And they, they constrain him, it says in verse 29. Abide with us, for it's towards evening. The day is spent. And they went in to stay with him. The the idea is they grabbed his arm. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Come in. This is the greatest Bible study I've ever heard. You're a really good teacher. Maybe the best I've ever heard. (laughs) And now it came to pass, verse 30, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broken, and gave it to them. They're sharing a meal. Now, it doesn't jump out at us, but it did to any Jewish reader. This is their home, and this stranger takes over. He starts acting like the host. Who does he think he is, breaking the bread and giving the blessing? Oh, God. <laughs> and their eyes were suddenly open, and they knew him. We're not told why. Scars on his hands? Hmm. The way he held the bread, the prayer, sounded familiar. But suddenly they could see. They had enough information. Their faith was kindled, and they saw with their heart, too. The rest of it is hilarious. He vanished from their sight. That's all it says. And the bread spinning on the table. I don't know. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Where'd he go? (laughs) Jesus was saying, I'm risen. Let me show you how this body works. Boom. And he's gone. Now, what's cool about this is you get one of these. I get one of these. The most important thing is he's ingesting earthly food. We get to keep eating in heaven. That's heaven. No calories, I'm sure. Just eat, eat, eat. Eat your way into eternity. And he appears and he disappears at will. That's cool. That could be useful today. He's going to pass through solid objects. And John, he goes right into the room. We'll see next week. And he can apparently travel instantly at great distances because he's going to go ahead of them to Jerusalem. By the time they get there, he's already appeared to Simon and moved Peter and moved on. He's going to lift off next time, ascends into heaven bodily. That would be cool to do for your friends. <laughs> I know. He vanishes just like that. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Burning hearts. That's what they got out of this. That's what I want to get out of this. That's what we all need. Hearts on fire for him. Not, oh, hum, used to be disciples. I want to have my heart burning for you, Lord. We're here once. This is it. One time. You go around once in life. How will you live your life? What are you living it for? Spend it serving him. Give yourself to what he wants you to do. And you'll find astounding significance you would never find. And just live in your life day to day like Eeyore. 
Ever been in a situation like this with these two disciples? You said something really stupid and you wish you could take it back. I'm thinking, Cleopas is saying, I can't believe I, I actually said that to him. Are you the only stranger in town? You know, you think he'll tell Peter that? I'm open mouth, insert foot. So they rose up, verse 33, and they returned to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were in the wrong place. They were at home, hanging out. They were discouraged. They were depressed, disappointed. They need to get where the action is. Saying, and they get there, and the 11 are there, and those who are with them, they're all gathered together, saying, verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Simon saw it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he had a personal encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. We're not told when or exactly how. But it was a special meeting because he was discouraged, especially after he had denied Jesus. You remember the whole rooster thing? And they, verse 35, told about the things that had happened to them on the road and how it was known to them. And the breaking of the bread, that's communion. That's the importance of communion. When you come to the communion table, and I pray that you would never miss an opportunity to do that, some people misunderstand and say, well, I can't take it, I'm not worthy. Listen, you wait to get worthy, you're never gonna take it. <laughs> Doesn't happen. You just confess your sins and come. But you will encounter Jesus when you come. That's his promise here. I said this was the second most important story in the world. The first one has been retold literally a hundred different ways. This is by the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard. He said it this way. We'll end with this. A certain king was very rich. His power was known throughout the world. But he was unhappy. He desired a wife, a queen. He desired to give love to another. One day, while riding through the streets of a small village, he saw a beautiful peasant girl. So lovely was she that the heart of the king was one. He wanted her. He desired he succeeded in seeing her as he would ride by her house in the following days. He wondered how he might show her and win her love. He thought, well, I could draw up a royal decree, require her to be brought before me to become the queen of my land. But as he considered this, he realized that she was a subject and would be forced to obey, and he would never know after that if she loved him or not. Then he said to himself, well, I'll call on her in person. I'll dress in my finest royal garb, wear my diamond rings, silver sword, my shiny boots, most colorful tunic. I'll overwhelm her, sweep her off her feet, and she will become my bride. But then he thought about that. And he knew that he would always wonder if she had married him for riches and the power they could give her, or did she love him? Then he decided to dress as a peasant. Drive into town, he thought. Have his carriage let him out. And in disguise, he would approach her house. No, that won't work. The duplicity of it was wrong. At last, he knew what he must do. He would shed his royal robes, he would go to the village and literally become one of the peasants. He would work and suffer with them. He would actually become one of them. And he did. And he won his bride. So did God consider how he might win humanity? God in Christ became one of us. He took upon him the form of human flesh to dwell among us. As Paul said, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself. Well, that's all we have time for our study today. Join us next time as we continue through the book of Luke here on Grow in Grace. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. 
You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.